Unspoken Issues. Unspoken Issues and the Unspoken Decade are proud to present the first of our long-form podcasts subtitled Unspoken Epics. In these special episodes, instead of one single comic book, we will be broadening our focus to multiple issues surrounding a character, event, or story arc from the 1990s. We've wanted to do a long-form podcast for a while and share it with our Unspoken Issues fan base, but also did not want to confuse everybody with a completely new podcast name. We will still be doing our single-issue poll-driven discussions, but Unspoken Epics will pop up from time to time in the feed. So for this week and next week, we hope you enjoy the first of our two-part episode on Transformers Generation 2. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode. I am your conductor, as Dean Compton said. I am Jesse Starcher. And joining me this evening, Dean Compton here. You've come back, and we're talking more Transformers. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, listen, 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 listen. I talk about the Transformers until I died, like literally until the moment I died. There's really not an aspect of the mythology, besides the movies, oddly enough, that I don't enjoy. Really got into War for Cybertron lately. But for me, the heyday is always going to be that Gen 1 stuff that, you know, that's where I'm at. But to me, the Gen 2 stuff that we're talking about today, Transformers Generation 2, just as good as in its, in its own way. I like the toys. I like this comic. I like the mythology that surrounds it. I think that it gets a bad rap, but I'm excited to, you know, let's say undo that rap like it was like terrible Christmas paper, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna take it off. There's gonna be a beautiful present inside. I bet that happened to you too, dude. Like I used to get Christmas presents that like it'd be in a fucking box of boots, like the boot box. I'm like, I don't need any boots, but then inside a bunch of transformers. That's what we're gonna do today. Yeah, well, you brought somebody along with you because you said we can't go about this just us two. We gotta bring someone along that can carry their weight. And when I say weight, I mean dairy weight. How you doing, sir? Welcome to the podcast. Good. Thank you for having me. It's very excited to join you guys tonight. Dean, you said Generation 2. Jesse, you got to talk about Generation 2. So this is the comic book that I think you pitched to me at one point. You, you were just like, you've got to check this out at some yeah. point. Maybe we ought to talk about it. So here we are. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about why you decided to go with Generation 2? I think it's important, number one, to, be, to understand that we refer to the Transformers prior to this as Generation 1, but we wouldn't do it if there wasn't Generation 2. That's not what these Transformers were called at the time. We don't have Transformers Generation 3, 4, 5, so on. It splits into different things, you know, Beast Wars, uh, Siege, Transformers, the animated series, the movie stuff, etc. So I think this is an important thing because otherwise it doesn't answer the question, why is there a G1? Kind of like when you was in like civics class or some shit, you do an outline, you don't put it, you, know, you can't put a B, you know, if there's no A, you know <laughs> what I mean? So I think this is an overlooked era of the Transformers history. I think it's a, I think it's a really good comic book here. I think it turned a lot of the mythology on its head. I think it was, a. I think Simon Furman is, is aside from Bob Budiansky, like, you know, they're probably equals in a way, but he's the guy. He reimagined what Transformers could be. And I, I think, think it's a good comic for the 90s. Obviously, we do the 90s stuff here. And the Transformers regular series, obviously, we talked about issue number 80. It did go into the 90s, but it's very much an 80s property. I feel like Transformers Generation 2 updated the property in a good way for the 90s to where somebody like you, uh, Jesse, 
Jesse, not as big a Transformers person. You can appreciate this just as a 90s comic book alone. And also, I'm in the minority here. I love the Generation 2 toys. The colors are not good. I respect that. They're bright. They're garish. Neons, green, you know. But you know what? That's what we were doing in 1992. That's when Hypercolor was around. People think of the 90s as big grunge, but the early 90s were very techno. And so I feel like this goes into that. And I'm into this shit. Like, you, you're a big Joe fan, Jesse. I love the later Joes, Battle Force 2000, that kind of thing, which had the bright colors and weird stories. Generation 2 brings that to me as well. I would never say it's as good as Generation 1. I'm not going to do that. And I think a big problem with it is it's too similar to Generation 1, too close to Generation 1. But as it is on its own, if there was no Generation 1, I would still like I would still really find the comic book and the toys very, very interesting. The cartoon, it's really just the old cartoon. They threw some new bumpers on it. You know, so it is what it is there. But those okay. are probably the big reasons. Like, basically, I just gave you a college symposium about <laughs> Generation 2. Probably said a little too much, but you know what I say, you know, the path of excess will lead to the palace of wisdom. All right. All right. Well, Derry, tell me about, uh, now we're talking the comic tonight, but I mean, Generation 2 Transformers, what do you got on your mind here about uh, what we're either going to be getting ready to discuss? Was this something that you were reading at some point, picked up, had to have? What was, What's your thoughts about this comic or anything else in regards to it? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm a, a huge geek on a variety of properties, but Transformers is a number one, uh, regardless if it's the live action movies, which I don't think are nearly as bad as Dean does. Uh, I love all the cartoons. I don't think they're bad. They're just not for me. No, 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 I believe me. I respect that. I have this argument with everyone, but I, I, I love them. I always say, give me more Transformers rather than less. But I actually owe all my fandom to Generation Two because I'm a little bit on the younger side. So when this came out, I was like, oh, hey, great, they're rebooting this thing, and I didn't realize until later it was the same properties, the same characters. So yeah, Generation Two pulled me in and made me a lifelong fan. And by the time I discovered Generation One and realized, oh, it's the, it's the Generation Two stuff. It's just the originals. It was like I was hooked. Uh, this comic I did buy on the racks when I was little kid but i had no idea what i was reading so i read it repeatedly as an adult and yeah i echo everything dean said this this is simon Furman, who's written the characters i think by volume more than anyone else just being like i don't know how long this book is gonna last i told all my all my a stories let me take one b plot and just like shoot for the fences and i mm -hmm. i think he accomplishes it i think you can read issues one through 12 and you get a really good concise Transformers comic. First Generation 2 goes as well. I think this was good for you for the slightly younger people like you're mentioning because like when me and Jesse discussed issue number 80, the Transformers at the end got really weird. The Pretenders, Action Masters, a whole bunch of sublines and the, and the stuff got really cosmic and I wasn't lost at all. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. But Generation 2, at least as far as the toys go, just pretty much a straight reboot getting back to basics for somebody like you who had sort of missed out on it. Yeah, and that, that's it 100%, because if you had given me, at that age, an action master, I would have been like, no, nah, I'm going to go back to uh, the Ninja Turtles. Right. But someone handed me a... a terror con. <laughs> <laughs> but someone handed me a, a Generation 2 Optimus Prime, which is, uh, we call it the, the, the Power Master, and I still have it. It is uh, it is sitting in the bookcase behind me. So, uh, yeah, no, Dean is 100% right. They rebooted, they went back to basics, and I was able to get my hands on those, and it was like, all right, I'm going to be giving you money for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that when we came together and decided we were going to do this story at first, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I need to start reading and start making notes. So I grab issue one. All right. I'm going through issue one and this is just kind of to set up what we're going to get into here. But now I know the Transformers and GI Joe have crossed in their paths plenty of times in the past. All right. What I wasn't expecting was, was for it, that to happen right here in, I think it was issue one. They're starting to reference GI Joe comics and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Okay, cool. You know, I, 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 I 
immediately definitely raised an eyebrow. I was, I see that property show up. I'm excited. I want to go and read some more. So what we've done, obviously they're, they're referencing some stuff that's happened in the Joe comics. So we're going to reference that first. We're going to talk about that first. Uh, we're just sticking to the main bulk of what happened between Megatron and Cobra Commander. All right. So Megatron shows up. We're going to talk about that, but there is a lot of other stuff that's going on in those issues. We're going to kind of leave that to the side. So if, obviously nobody came here to listen to us talk about GI Joes. They listen, uh, they're listening to hear us talk about Transformers tonight. Definitely the, the Joe saga wouldn't make a lot of sense at this point, but it is written by legendary Joe scribe, Larry Hama. Larry so if anyone's Hama. on the fence about whether or not to read these issues, absolutely do. Cause that guy was still trucking right along and uh, he he's just as good. And uh, they, they absolutely are worth reading. I mean, they are, they are not throwaway issues for the Joe storyline. I forget who penciled them, but they're beautiful as well. Like, Meta Viper is, like, one of the coolest characters. And I think this is one of the first times he showed up in the comics. Like, I really like that, too. Like, he looks cool. Well, I started picking out Joes that I recognized. I, I recognized quite a few, <laughs> but I, I remember getting some of that. I think it was Ninja Force line where with the dude yeah. at the uh, department store that was going out of business, and they were selling these things for, like, rock-bottom prices. And I was like, hey, I'm 14. I still like G.I. Joes, I think. So I went, <laughs> I, I went and grabbed a bunch of them at that time, and I was I was like, oh, hey, here they are in this comic. Sweet. Um, Slice? Dice? Yeah. <laughs> there he is. All right. So here we go. All right. So this. That synopsis is right around the corner, but first let me tell you about Amazon Music. You may not be able to find Starscream's crooning country album, King of My Own Castle, but you will be able to find the Cybertronic Spree's rockin' good time tune, Cybertronic Warrior. If you head to getamazonmusic.com W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. This takes place between issues GI uh, GI Joe, the uh, a real American hero, one thirty eight through one forty two. That's that's as far as I went. I don't think it went further than that. Okay, real quick, let's talk about the creative team for GI Joe, a real American hero, issues one thirty eight through one forty two. Now, all of these issues are scripted by Larry Hama, but I'll go ahead and go issue by issue on the rest of the creative team. So, on issue one thirty eight, we have Andrew Wildman on breakdowns, Stephen Baskerville with the finishes, Rick Parker with the letters and Bob Sharon with coloring. On issue 139, we have Pencils by Chris Batista, Rick Parker doing lettering again. Baskerville, Williams, Hudson, and Wallace are all on the inks, and Sharon and Witterstetter are on colors for that issue. Issue 140 has Chris Batista doing the pencils, Chip Wallace doing the inks, and Bob Sharon doing the coloring. Issue 141 has Stephen Lieber and William Rosado doing pencils, Scott Moulter and Chip Wallace doing the inks, Bob Sharon doing the colors and Rick Parker with the lettering. Finally, on issue 142, I want to do my best here because I can't suss out the credits box very well. <laughs> uh, so it's got Jesse Orozco and William Rosado listed as the pencils, Chip Wallace and Tim Tuoney as the inkers, Ariane, Steve Alexandrov, and Rick Parker as letterers, and Andre Ani and Chi behind the colors. 
So here we go. Megatron still alive, still on Earth. So well, 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 let me stop. Let me stop because I, I do have to ask a question. I know that I read issue 80 of Transformers. I don't think Megatron showed up at all. So I, if I remember correctly, we were de- dealing with bludgeon, his crazy antics and all that stuff. Well, Megatron's obviously in dire straits because he looks like crap when he shows up here in this issue. If not, Isn't that's that fine. Right after he was like attached to Ratchet and they got undetached and then like they thought he got killed. But this is the first time we see him since then. Okay. I remember that he was attached to Ratchet, which was a big deal. Because yep. he like he like moseyed on around for a while, connected to him by the head, and it, it was a really cool visual. Um and very horrifying as well. Yeah, yeah. A real horror comic, like very, very much part of the UK scene type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just, it became uh, like a space horror comic for about I don't know, 10 issues or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see Simon Furman's background in, in the UK comics because it is not something you'd see on Saturday mornings. But uh, yeah, my understanding, unless I miss something, is he just kind of shows up here because he had a new toy coming out and yep. they had to figure out to get one to the other as quickly as possible, which doesn't bother me. I'm not so much for the details, but it's like, yeah, that was that was standard operating procedure. Yeah, I was going to say that was the model back then. So yeah, yeah. that's exactly I, what they were doing. I think also at this point, like, do you really need an explanation that Megatron Tron's not dead anymore. Like this would have been like the fourth or fifth time he had died. <laughs> yeah, when he yeah. died, because Galvatron, Galvatron died, he becomes back. You know, I mean, like if Megatron shows up out of nowhere looking haggard doing stuff, I totally just buy it. Yeah, we didn't get him. Imagine that. Megatron uh, still alive. All right. Megatron. Megatron still alive, still on Earth, but badly damaged, strikes a deal with the nefarious Cobra Commander to get himself repaired. Sporting a, a new tank transformation, Megatron promises Cobra Commander the Cybertronian spaceship, the Ark. However, in exchange, Megatron gets fitted with an advanced railgun and ownership. Well, I was going to say ownership. I don't know what to call this, but he's basically taking their brilliant scientist, Dr. Biggles Jones, uh, hostage. I wouldn't call her hostage. She's basically just like, give me that. Uh, give me that person over there. I'm going to uh, use her brain power for something. Um, well, I but think anyway. it's interesting as far as that goes, because if you, as this goes on, Dr. Biggles Jones refers to the Transformers, particularly the Autobots, as like mirror machine. She's like, if a mirror machine, machine can be that brave i can too if you notice megatron thinks of her the same way like okay. megatron is like that's just who get who cares that's a fleshling she thinks of these robots as machines but they're more than that and he thinks of her as like not inorganic because that would be uh, atomically incorrect but as far as like a sentient being no he doesn't really think of her that way and okay. i think it's interesting to see that those two viewpoints are much more similar than you think until you really look at it yeah so megatron takes her along with him when G.I. Joe shows up to thwart, Cobra's plans, reinforcements are needed, and some Autobots join the fight after they are informed their nemesis Megatron has returned. Now, I saw I put some Autobots. It's a little hard for me to keep track. I know you guys might have something to say about who joined the fight here, so you'll have the floor. But during the fray, Megatron decides to betray Cobra Commander, like you would figure, heading into the Ark, escaping and taking Dr. Biggles Jones with him. However, during the battle, the Autobots' human friend Spike sneaks onto the Ark, uh, and uh, also Autobots bot skydive if i remember correctly and that's kind of where we end things the the main thing obviously is megatron's back he's now a tank he's got this awesome weapon he's taken this doctor this brilliant scientist uh hostage if you will 
Spike Witwicky. I don't know when we last saw him, but I can tell you it was cool to see him all of a sudden. He's sneaking on. Holy crap, there's Spike. He's on his way into the Ark, and then Skydive gets in there too. So Megatron's flying around the Ark, and that's kind of where we leave these G.I. Joe issues. So, Well, I'm, I mean, I think that the stuff between Cobra Commander and Megatron is, is really, really funny. It's funny to see, the, I mean, because they're pretty much exactly the same. They both yes. are looking for the opportunity to screw the other one over. They're both sort of ruthless except cobra commander is sort of naive like he gives megatron all these super weapons and i wonder on some level like why megatron needed it like he had this arc like maybe he just couldn't do it to himself i also think it's neat the way they got megatron there which was like he thought destro's transforming castle, castle. Was an actual transformer yeah. which which is actually a great way to bring them into that uh you know back into the into the gi joe sphere because they really hadn't done anything with them since the gi joe versus the transformers miniseries I believe. I don't know that there really had been any contact. Uh, Derry might know more about that, but uh, I, I think that the interplay between those two is cool. I think looking at Megatron, um, the way he thinks about humanity is interesting. I'm not as big a fan of the Autobot bloodbath at the end. Like, I'm pretty sure Braun could, you know, why we gotta kill Braun? I like that guy. Um, I do think they had to get Megatron over. They needed to get Megatron over in a big way. And most of the guys, like, uh, you know, they, they, they wouldn't have competed with Megatron on some level anyway, but this this is the first part of a, uh, one of the few problems I have with the Generation 2 stuff. And it starts here. Why is Steeljaw there without Blaster? Like, Steeljaw transforms <laughs> into one of Blaster's cassettes. And I think, like, like why is Skydive there without the rest of the aerial bots? Why is Hotspot there without the rest of the protective bots? I don't know why these subgroups would split up, particularly considering later on, all the Dinobots are together. And, like, you know, the protective bots, they, they form Defensor, and the aerial bots form uh, Superion. These are inherent advantages that the Autobots seemingly just squandered that I can't get my head around. But I think all in all, this is a really good lead in. I think, um, I think it's interesting that they were trying to use this title to springboard another when this title would only last about a year longer, about 14 months. Mm -hmm. G.I. Joe's last issue is 155. Uh, but all in all, it's fun. And, and it, I think that I think that you could do a lot worse. And a lot of times Marvel did do a lot worse at the time, utilizing one property in another to spin off another comic book. In this case, I thought everything was exciting. Got Megatron over as a villain. You know, uh, got the G.I. Joe team over as the supporting cast they'd be in about the first half of the the G2 ongoing series as well. So, you know, I really, I really enjoy the issues for the most part, particularly the stuff that uh, involves the Transformer. Okay. Yeah, I, I love the fact that he shows up because uh, he mistakes the castle as a Transformer and when he gets there, finds out that the castle is inert and he's like, oh, what, what, what is this shit? Uh, so that helps. <laughs> I, I had not remembered that from the last time I read it. But uh, yeah, this is a weird comic, but it's very much something of the 90s where there are a ton of characters in this. They don't always necessarily line up the way you expect them to but nonetheless the plot gets moved forward like yeah. i love the fact that megatron shows up and and to dean's point he's he's very similar to the character of cobra commander I and mean, you could see that on the two shows but by the end of the arc he's got a brand new body he's got a brand new alt mode he's got this human companion he's going to take into space he's got this amazing gun like they built the new toy for him and i like that yep. that came out of cobra because that was you know that was kind of the gi joe books way of saying like hey you know cobra are still capable of stuff and now they're going to have access 
access to whatever they glean from Megatron's superhead. So I, I definitely think that to Dean's point, they were they were looking to build up both books. Uh, definitely from the events of Transformers Generation 2, they have a, a very clear Earth presence. So I kind of like the way that it was saying like, hey, listen, we're in the 90s. These toys aren't selling the way they were, but the comics are still here. We can, uh, we can tell a pretty interesting story. So yeah, I was on board. Reading these was a dream. And uh, before we were talking about the artist, but yeah, this is Andrew Wildman and he is great. I mean, he, you know, especially for the time period we're talking about, 1993, his stuff holds up. I mean, even reading it now, it's like, this is better than some of the stuff that IDW's putting out. Uh, okay, so going back and reading these Joe issues, I, again, was taken back to my childhood because this was, even though I love the Joes, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of these characters. And just like you said, dude, there is a ton of them in here. The Joes and the Transformers. I mean, we see, the, the good thing is, is it's not like they just throw a, an Autobot on the on the page and not give a way of figuring out what his name is and who it's supposed to be. Yeah, there was a lot to follow when it came to who was what, but I mean, your main characters, obviously, they got that across pretty easily uh, and who these main players are and what the plot was going to be. Is Hotspot the one that looks like Optimus Prime? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's the fire truck from the he's protector. fire okay. truck. I know he's going to show up here later, but I, I just remember like, oh, here's Prime. What the heck is Prime doing here? Wait a second. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, I got it. Listen, you know, I had give him five minutes. They'll make a fire truck Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good primer for what we're getting ready to get into uh, for Generation 2 because it's referenced quite a bit. Uh, and it's cool to see, you know, again, like I said, it's cool to see these two properties actually mingling once again. I think another neat thing about this, too, is, you know, we talk about Megatron's new look, but this these books, you know, I don't want to get too much of the G.I. Joe side, but it was also like this launched Ninja Force. This was the launch of like Zarkan's new look, Storm Shadow's new look, the whole Ninja Force character line. Space so it's really interesting how it's kind of like a double pilot, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. For G.I. Joe, it was really interesting because there was a line in here where it was like, oh, you, you know, I, I think it was in here. I could be misremembering it, but it's like, you know, Prime said, make sure you kill yourselves other than get caught. And it's like, it's like that does not sound like Optimus oh. Prime. Where did that did come he? from? No kidding. I missed that. Wow. It might have been in the first part of the Generation 2. It's in issue three of Generation 3. Hot spot and the Cobras get into it. But, but yeah, you're right. It was a very non-Prime directive. And I don't think it was stated in the G.I. Joe issues, but it was sort of understood. Also, one of the things that I find interesting is the G.I. Joe comic book goes on, right? And nothing after, the even the G2 stuff doesn't really get mentioned in it. But like in the G2 book, like Earth is pretty much destroyed. Oh, yeah, like, dude. Like, it is just like ravaged. I mean, like Octopunch is just doing whatever he wants because he's on punch. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's interesting how, like, in the G2 book, you know, they're drawing, like, you know, cordons off around Washington, D.C., and they're trying to defend the White House. I don't know. In the trans in the G.I. Joe book, they're doing, like, Star Brigade stuff, Ninja Force stuff. And yeah. it's interesting. It almost makes you wonder if the G2 stuff takes place in a different universe than the G.I. Joe and the Transformers stuff. I don't know if you guys have read this. This might be getting deep into the weeds, but uh, Generation two ends on a cliffhanger that's eventually continued by Simon Furman in uh, stuff that's not technically canon and it really goes like really deep into Transformer lore and I almost wonder if, if if Dean's right if at this point it's just like you know what this is its own story and its own continuity you know long gone are the days where Spider-Man or Circuit Breaker or S.H.I.E.L.D. are going to show up like yeah. this is its own thing the writing's on the wall let's just let's just go let's just do a final crisis story where we burn all 
sell our bridges and tell the best story we can, which is one of the reasons I like it. Because while, yeah, it would have been nice to have G.I. Joe show up later, at the same time, it was like, oh, man, you are leaving nothing on the field with this. And and that kind of, you know, I, I appreciated that. Wanted to pop in real quick and just give some credits for these six issues that we are about to get into. Uh, so all stories were written or scripted by Simon Furman with Starkington Gachel on lettering and Sarah Mossif on colors. The art varies throughout the six issues. Derek Yaniger and Manny Galan switch duties throughout some of them uh, with showings in issue two by Andrew Wildman and Jeff Sr. You can find Jim Amash and Marie Severn on inks in most of the issues with some help of Stephen Baskerville in issue two. So there's your creative team. And again, these six issues are cover dated from November of 1993 through April of 1994. Now this next synopsis, I'm doing three issues. So Transformers Generation 2, issues one through three. A team of Autobots led by Grimlock are trying to protect the people of a distant planet from what they believe is a Decepticon threat. Behind this attack is a, we'll just say Transformer by the name of Jackson, okay? Who is confounded that the Autobots are a continued thorn in his plan to reform these planets into Cybertron-like worlds. Meanwhile, Optimus Prime is suffering from visions that he believes are warnings of things to come. When Jahaxis engages Prime and the Autobots, he is able to take the Autobots prisoner, explaining his position to Prime. Jahaxis is attempting to give the Cybertronians worlds to, to live on. He also gives Prime a reason to question his unending war against those of his own race. Grimlock assures him that it was the Autobots who have a purpose to stand up for those who cannot against Jahaxis and others with plans to exterminate those that are unlike them. Prime and the Autobots, they're able to escape Jahaxis. Some time passes and the next time we see Jahaxis and Prime, they're facing off with each other on an unnamed planet. As their respective forces fight as well, Jahaxis and Prime begin to discuss the warlike nature of Cybertronians. As both realize that there appears to be a parasite that is fueling their rage, they decide to stay their instincts to battle one another for now, and Jahaxis and Optimus call their forces off. As the two armies depart, Jahaxis is troubled by his tyrannical past that he has tried to leave behind, and the encounter with Optimus Prime now is causing him to question if he has ever left it at all. However, he believes that as long as the Autobots are still around, he will also continue to question himself. On Earth, Hotspot is still attempting to assist the Joes in defeating Cobra. During a mission to destroy a convoy carrying a, some Cybertronian tech, Hotspot is trapped and sacrifices himself in an explosion to keep Cobra from also getting his body. In the arc, Megatron believes he has escaped and is pondering his next move when a stowaway at Spike tries to stop him by taking control of a heavily damaged Fortress Maximus. Am I right there? Is that what he tries to do? He doesn't take yep. control of him. He is Fortress Maximus because Fortress Maximus is the headmaster and Fortress Maximus can't be Fortress Maximus if Spike doesn't transform into his head and put it on. Like, like it. it doesn't work. Like, yeah. it, So they're separate beings, but they're also together. Uh, kind of like Venom, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. That's a good it analogy. makes sense. It, it makes sense because you see the, you know, Fortress Maximus or the body of Fortress Maximus laying there without a head. I knew Spike was a headmaster. So, okay. So he becomes Fortress Maximus, who, yeah, like I said, the body looks like it's pretty rough. It's uh, It's been beat up. As he battles with Megatron, he's soon overpowered, but Skydive intervenes, giving Spike enough time to reach the antimatter core of the Ark. Believing Megatron absolutely cannot have control of the Ark, Spike sacrifices himself to cause an overload of the core. As Skydive is able to grab Dr. Biggles-Jones, they fly out of the Ark as it explodes in the night sky. Oh, and the evil Decepticon Bludgeon and that crazy crew of his are still out in space, floating around, stripping ships of the 
their valuables. <laughs> Bludgeon is building an army, but needs the spark of life from Optimus, so he plans to head to Earth to set a trap to lure him in. All right, now it's I got... Kato! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot out there. I do think going back to the G.I. Joe issues for a minute, they end flat because here goes Megatron, got everything he wants. With yeah, dude. And everybody's just kind of like, hey, that shit happened. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's good that these issues like rectify that because like it felt like, it felt a little odd that like, is he take off with Dr. Biggles Jones? It's great to see Fortress Maximus again for the eight seconds we get him. I'm a big Fortress Maximus fan. It is like a holy grail of mine to one day own like any Fortress Maximus, but both the old ones and the new ones cost like $500. And it really, Super if you're not willing to spend $500, you cannot have a Fortress Maximus. You gotta settle for Metroplex, y'all. I wanna ask um, a quick question. Quick question. Go, go ahead. So Fortress Maximus, now I remember that toy. It's huge, right? Yeah, Am I right? it's like an Autobot city, pretty much. Fortress Maximus is battling Megatron. I can't remember. I don't have the pages in front of me, but I didn't get that sense of scale. So in the comics, it was played a little differently. All yeah. of the super tall or super giant ones, they're kind of just drawn to be in scale with the others. Okay. Uh, if I don't know if you if you saw the what we're going to call the Generation 1 cartoon, he's massive. He doesn't really have a personality. He's closer mm-hmm. to Metroplex or he's closer to Omega Supreme. But yeah, the, the, the comics, and you Marvel did a series called Headmasters uh, miniseries one through four. They're pretty much in scale with the other Transformers. Uh, so, but just like Megatron turning into a gun that someone else can hold, when Fortress Masters transforms, he's a giant, you know, battle station, a fortress, an imp- impregnable fortress, what have you. So they definitely, I, I don't know if they got pin particles or what's, what's going on, but uh, right, right. yeah, they rapidly change scale when they go to their uh, alt mode. I think okay. it was explained once, like it's kind of like a subspace atomic matter shifter yeah. thing, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to but yeah in the transformers comics there are three sizes basically there's the guys who are the cassettes there's almost everybody else and then there's the combiners and that's pretty much it you know omega supreme kind of close to the combiners not quite but like you said everybody else whether it's metroplex trypticon fortress maximus they're all about the same size as soundwave or starscream or anybody like that yeah so we so we see spike in fortress maximus i mean uh, we are to assume that he's dead i mean spike's a huge player in my opinion on the Transformers that I grew up on anyway um, see, so see that's funny ahead. too because if you had been reading the, the Generation 1 comics like the main character in the comics is called Buster right uh, yeah and it wasn't for a while I remember reading those and being like Buster okay that's weird but he's the same characters from the show it's just he's got another stupid nickname but then later on in the Generation 1 comics Spike shows up and I don't know okay. if that was Hasbro or, or Simon Furman or someone being like hey can you uh, you know make this match the comic. So Spike showing up here, I actually wasn't sure for a couple of pages because they just call him what he calls himself with Wiki. I was like, is this Buster? I don't remember. And then it's it's Spike and he turns into uh Fort Max. But yeah, him him being lost here was almost funny. It was like, man, Spike can get no respect in the comics. You know, Buster was the main <laughs> character for a while. He comes in, he gets killed in a crossover, and literally no one mourns him for the rest of these 12 issues. Right, right, right. I can't say for certain, but probably what happened is either the cartoon or the comic book, probably more likely the cartoon because Marvel made a bunch of this mythology at the start. Somebody got the wrong information, like this guy was going to be Buster, they changed the name to Spike or vice versa, because if you look at the history of the licensed uh, animated comics, G.I. Joe, like if you look at the early G.I. Joe stuff, stuff doesn't match up, the Thundercats comics doesn't match up, the He-Man shit is all over the place. There is no (laughs) telling like what anybody had, because I think at the time it wasn't seen as important. Very similar to like when you 
you would ask Stan Lee or Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko who did what, and you get Don Heck's opinion, Flo Steinberg's opinion. Nobody fucking knows because nobody really kept up with it. So what you had is you had development in one area, you know, the comics, you had the toy development, which then split off into a million different developments because most of it was just Japanese toys licensed. And then you had the cartoon development somewhere, believe it or not, those wires got crossed. Mm. A lot of people are showing back up that I love to see, especially Bludgeon. Uh, his... <laughs> Bludgeon's great. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> yeah. Derry, why don't you why don't you weigh in on Jahaxis here? Yeah, so Jax is one of those characters that I didn't find all that interesting the first time I read it because it's like, okay, great. You got a bunch of, you know, unusable soldiers. I can't tell them apart. You, you mm-hmm. don't have a toy. Like, that's the big thing to me is if you're going to be a main character and I don't have a toy of you, it's like, that's, that's kind of weird. And this guy didn't get a toy until years and years later. But I like him more now. And the reason for that is, I don't know if anyone else went through this. To me, he's the MCU Thanos. Like, especially okay. later on, like he is, he is all about his, his, his armies and his troops. And he's got a higher power. He keeps going on about, he just wants to, you know, take out anyone who doesn't fit his profile. He's not afraid of the heroes, but he has respect for them. He wants to fight him in an open field. And I just halfway through reading these, I just, I started hearing Josh Boland's voice and the, the character finally clicked for me. And now mm. I may have to go out and actually get that toy after all. <laughs> you know, for me, it's funny when you say that, because like, I, I read it at the time and liked it at the time and it sounds like I was a little older than you like I was picking these up I would probably be like 14 so it's probably a little more in my wheelhouse and, and uh, you you mentioned uh, you mentioned Thanos and everything I saw him more like he's trying to go to the Galactus route like, oh, okay. he's beyond good and evil it's not like you you guys are antiquated I see your, your MCU Thanos though because I think the MCU Thanos and uh, Galactus are actually very similar in that if you ask Thanos in the MCU if you ask Marvel Universe Thanos if he's evil he's gonna start like juggling skulls and it's like eyes are going to glow and he's going to talk about <laughs> Mr. Death. The MCU one's like, I'm not really evil, man. I'm just, this is what has to be done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I feel like Galactus is similar. Galactus is. Uh, Darkseid also, although Darkseid's decidedly evil, but like, I feel like G-Axis is like Darkseid or Galactus and that he's just like, this is the natural order of things. I'm just trying to promulgate it. You're the throwbacks. You're yeah. the ones who don't get what's happened. You're the ones who won't get with the times. So yeah, it's an interesting conversation. I totally see it. I thought, it's funny because this is one of the more polemical things that a lot of Transformers fans don't like. Like, and and Gary's probably seen this on message boards. They don't like this idea that the war is over. They're all Cybertronians now. And, uh, and things like moved along. And I guess because it maybe takes some of the sexiness away from some of it. But to me, when you add in like Spike's death, Hotspot's death, Braun's death, Steeljaw's death, etc. early on in the comics, it gave you a reinforcement that this comic book played for keeps. That everything, not just the characters dying, which would have been a enough to kind of instill that in you but even the very concepts that you held dear to your heart in regard to the Transformers nothing was off limits we could we could nullify those there was no part of this mythology that was sacrosanct anymore the characters could die and their philosophies could be shown to be possibly outdated that having been said Jax is wrong he's decidedly evil just like Thanos of the MCU <laughs> and I love Grimlock where he's like no Prime I can't believe you're being this way because I yeah. love Grimlock and I love the self-doubt Grimlock has through this and I love how 
how he he finds himself as a leader as this goes along. And I love that moment where he's like, maybe we see too small a picture, but the Septicons see too big a picture. Remember <laughs> what we learned on Earth. Like the humans, yeah. these people are no different. The, the planets, wherever there's life, it's no different than us. What a great speech from what a great character who normally just says munch metal. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And one of the other things I liked about G-Axis was, um, again, now, now that I had a better appreciation for what he was going for, is yeah, I like the fact that nothing can be taken for granted, which again, based on the fact that this started out as a toy in a cartoon, really was the exception to the rule, and you can tell they're getting to the end of the line. But one of the things I liked is this villain is essentially like, your little tiny war doesn't really matter. I come from a place where I have beaten enemies far out of scale of you. And it was similar to like, I don't know if you guys are Trekkies, but like in Deep Space Nine, they introduced the concept of the Dominion. Mm -hmm. Or in, in the Star Wars Expanded Universe in the 90s, they had the Yuuzhan Vong, just this idea of like, your battle seems big to you guys because you don't know any better, but there is a giant force with unlimited resources that is on its way here. And if you don't put your differences aside, it's just going to steamroll all of you. And I love seeing this because it was like, oh, yeah, Prime has problems with Megatron. How's he going to beat this guy with planets and and, and systems full of soldiers who are, who are loyal to him? So I, I agree. I loved the, 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 the enhancement of the scale of this. Yeah, the, the point that this book really made me sit up and go, okay, we're getting something different here, was when Jahaxis and Prime were battling each other and they decide to stop. Right. That's not where I was like, you know, we oh, we got to up the ante with a bigger, badder villain, and now they're just going to continue to fight. And that's not what happens. They stop and they talk. And I was like, okay, now we're going to get somewhere because we're, you know, we're actually going to really think about what this, both these, both of these characters are doing and what they've been doing. And I like that because not only does Optimus come away with that first conversation thinking about, you know, what am I doing? Why, why am I in this war? What should I be doing with myself uh, for my, for my people from a Cybertron? And then it's not like Jahaxis walks away just going, yeah, I'm right. And I'm always going to be right. He's walking away going, man, I've tried to leave that all behind. They allude to it here. They don't really, well, I can't remember if they do the flashback in this one or his later issues, but they talk about this dude had a past where he was a tyrant and he's trying at least to get away from it. But now he's starting to realize maybe he hasn't. He thought that he was right. doing something completely different. Well, um, I think uh, when you when you remember the parasite issue, what you wind up with is like that moment where they're fighting the parasites and God bless Hound, because without him, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he figured it out quickly. It's like, it's funny. The army Jeep was like, hey, man, maybe we shouldn't fight. <laughs> He's the one who figured it out. It's kind of uh, uh, ironic, if you will. But uh, but I think that issue is like a metaphor for the whole thing. That the only real way that these Cybertronians, whether they're Geaxuses or Megatrons or the Autobots, is at some point they're going to have to decide to stop fighting. At some point, you know, you, you know, this war can't go on forever. Now, obviously it can as long as Hasbro is making money in the real world. But from a, if you think about like a real world war, if you think about like, uh, you know, from a philosophical and from a material and from just a, a want standpoint, wars don't go on forever in the real world for a lot of reasons. At some point, you have to stop fighting to figure out what is it, what it is that you want. I think that parasite issue was a really good metaphor for that. So if G Hyxis, you know, in the future issues does have redemption, it can be tied back to that where everybody, I think, kind of realized what the real answer was, except Megatron, who wasn't there 
there who will never learn any lessons as evidenced <laughs> by the fact that, you know, he brings Starscream back. At some point, so. Yeah. You will never learn any lessons. Megatron, we can, we can just say that definitively. Yeah. The only thing I want to say as, as a, as a pronounced fan of nineties comics is if you flip through this first issue, you know, from the hollow foil transforming beautiful old cover to all the artwork inside by, um, Derek Yaniger, this thing is, it, it almost seems like a parody if it didn't come out in 1993 because you have Autobots wearing bandoliers, there's shell casings, there's double page spreads. I mean, it was a dream to read through because it's just like, you know, the Transformers may be an 80s property, as was mentioned, but Generation 2 could only have come out in 1993, 1994 when it did. And it's just, it's one of these things where it's like, man, you know, we're, we're still fans of these characters today people still buy these toys are still talking about them there's going to be new cartoons but for one brief second you know there were weird guns mounted on every possible surface like in every other comic and everyone had little you know pouches and bandoliers like they were be they were being drawn by Liefeld so I just uh I love it as a fan of this time period I, I love flipping through these I still have my hard copies so I just think it's great and yeah. it's one of the best gimmick covers too of the era like it all makes sense it looks great I feel like the way the book is colored and the way the lettering's done, it almost feels like a UK comic. And then you throw in the fact that Simon Furman, who is from the UK, uh, is writing it. And I mean that in a good way. It just feels even juxtaposed with the stuff that I know people make fun of, the big guns, the pouches, the bandoliers. And I don't care what anybody says, but that moment where Megatron's running down the hall firing guns, amazing. Yeah. He's like, Megatron is back! And he's like blowing everybody away. <laughs> I think when you juxtapose that with like that style of coloring, the way Simon Furman writes, the way it's lettered, it really feels more like uh, an advanced UK comic of the time. Like, something you might even have seen in 2000 AD, it would have been a little raunchier in 2000 AD, but I don't think it would have been out of place. Like, it has that feel, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the artwork reminds me of of two, especially in the later issues, two UK artists I'm a huge fan of. One is Simon Bisley and the other one is Kevin O'Neill. Like, yeah. This just has very UK feel, and I again, I mean that in the best way I really do you know reading through this it's like well it makes sense a lot of this team worked on the Transformers UK comic which was long running and very successful in its own way but yeah I mean you read this and some of these jaw lines it's like oh man when are the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen going to show up and I love that that is nothing but the highest compliment I can give yeah I no did, great to mention Bisley it does have a Bisley feel yeah I was just going to say I, I did like how in the first issue here you talk about the lettering and, and the caption boxes it was just an interesting flair for them to have the like it lo- almost looks like a code of some sort on the side of the speech bubble I don't know if you remember that but it, was, it has yeah. like different colors uh different colored boxes there's no rhyme or reason to it other than just to kind of give it that techno feel almost and which i really really liked that's one thing that set it apart and i do see the uk uh influence that you guys are talking about because it is just looking at the faces of each autobot or each transformer and their snarls uh just really really sets itself apart Transformers Generation 2 issues 4 through 6. The Autobot Grimlock is tired of waiting on Prime to take action against Jaxus. Taking some other Autobots, he attacks 
but he and his army are soon taken prisoner. Optimus and some others show up to rescue them, and when they are finally free, Optimus informs them that he has to head to Cybertron as his visions are getting stronger and he needs help understanding the warning that the Matrix is giving him. Optimus gets to Cybertron, and with the help of some... Look, I just called them Cybertronian mystics. I have no idea what these guys are, but they're they're helping him through his, uh, his, his trying to figure out what these visions are. So with the help of these Cybertronian mystics, he is warned that his visions are of a coming apocalypse. He watches the history of his race unfold and begins to understand that not all of them began as one race at the same time, but generations of new Cybertronians spawned from old ones until one day the generations just stopped and they forgot that this could occur. But Prime also sees that all Transformers, and I say all Transformers, have the ability to create new generations. It's just locked away. Prime then realizes that Jahaxis is a new generation of Cybertronian, I think. However, Optimus believes that Cybertronians may not have been meant to remember how to bring about a new generation of race because Cybertronians, specifically Decepticons, may take over the galaxy. Understanding this, Prime is intent on preventing it from occurring and heads to Earth. I put heads to Earth. I, that's where I assumed he was going because that's where we're going to see him next. Meanwhile, Jahaxis is preparing another world for eco-structuring and is concerned why the Autobots are not attacking. So he's thinking, well, these guys are up to something and trying to stop them while Autobot Hot Rod is upset that they aren't going after Jahaxis. On Earth, Bludgeon and his crew have arrived wreaking havoc upon the planet with the hopes of getting the attention of Optimus Prime. Instead, they get a visit from Megatron and Starscream. So, I'm stopping right here just real quick. Either one of you pipe up. Derry, I'll let you go first if you have any idea. Where the hell did Megatron go and find Starscream? Is that in another book or is it just like, hey, Starscream's back? I The only thing that I could figure out is that when Megatron shows up at the beginning of the G.I. Joe issues that we discussed, he is speaking with someone. So I assumed that that was Starscream. And again, I, I feel like, you know, just having consumed as much Transformer media as I did, I didn't question it and said, all right, yeah, well, okay. listen, Megatron's got a new toy. I'm sure Starscream had a new toy at the time. These are marquee characters. They got to get back as quickly as possible. And it's a question of like, well, how much real estate are you going to have Larry Hama or uh, Simon Furman waste on this? You know, Starscream's coming back. You want him to come back. So I, I just kind of ran with it. Now there is discussion later on about, well, why did you bring him back yeah. of particular instance? <laughs> yeah, my and man Soundwave, not yeah, happy. Yeah. Not happy. <laughs> and it's it's funny too, because I, I know I'm, I'm beating this drum pretty hard, but again, my, my brain, and it's a different character, goes back to Thanos. And in the comics, they always used to say, well, he's going to be his own downfall. He's always going to cause something to allow him to not accomplish his goal, even though he gets closer than everyone else. And I feel like that's true with Megatron too. It's like through the whole G1, whether it was the comic or the cartoon, you have this obviously duplicitous guy as your right-hand man. I don't care how good of a fighter he is. He's going to shoot you the first chance he gets and you keep bringing him back. You know, you have your, your Iago and it's like, why? And I feel like that's just a fundamental part of Megatron's character. That's like, I can't be here without someone telling me how great I am, even if I know he doesn't mean it and he's going to try to kill me. Yeah, so I, th I think that's part of it is that, you know, Megatron is just so into lording it over. I think he likes it more to make Starscream say how great he is knowing that Starscream doesn't believe that and doesn't want to. It's a reaffirmation of 
Megatron's power. Ultimately, like for me, I just thought it was like, hey, Starscream's back. And much like I said about Megatron, yeah, I don't fucking question it. This is a guy who died at least three or four times in the 80 issue first series. He died in the movie. He came back. You remember Starscream's ghost in a, what was it, season three? So, like, I mean, this is a guy who had already, we know he can come back to life. He just does. We have to accept, too, like when we talk about death, and, and obviously the Transformers are uh, humanistic, much like us, but death doesn't quite mean the same thing for somebody that's made out of circuits, for somebody whose like personality could literally be put into a chip. Now, I'm not Dr. Biggles Jones being like, what me a machine? That's not true. <laughs> but much like your brain is a, is a uh, is is like basically a whole lot of electrical reactions happening at the same time. That's like almost literally what they are. And if those things can be replicated, why can't you bring Starscream back to life? And and again, like uh, like you said, Derry, a lot of it is just like it is part of Megatron's weakness. For you know, I think it, I think his weakness isn't necessarily Starscream in particular, but it's that idea that he wants people who who he wants the Transformers and he wants things that he perceives to be lesser beings that he knows hates him to yeah. worship him and give him adulation. And if that means that they're also treacherous, that's the price he pays. He doesn't realize that the price he's really paying is defeat. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that about the life and death because one thing we didn't talk about with the first three issues was there's this weird Halloween special that's yeah. included with the uh, with the first three issues. It's in issue two and it was solicited as an issue zero. And they they say that. They say something along the lines of, you know, we as, as Cybertronians, we really can't die. We're functionally immortal. And even if we get killed, we can usually get, you know, put back together and whatnot. And they almost say something like how weird it must be for, for you humans to have to know that's coming and deal with that on a regular basis. So, so yeah, the fact that these characters do die so often and then come back, the fact that the the other characters don't really seem to be all that surprised, I feel like makes sense within the story, even if it's just kind of like, you know, the editor's way of explaining the fact that they needed these characters back because it was a editor because it was a mandate from the, you know, the, the yes. IP holder basically. Right. Okay. What a weird Halloween special too. Like who's that for? Like that's not for kids, which is no. normally what you do with Halloween special. Uh it was already in an issue, so like you and me don't need it. Like yeah. what, what was this about? Like, you know, like if you were buying the regular issues, you got it. If you were a kid, you'd just be creeped the fuck out because it's a creepy story. I don't know. It's it's interesting that it was made. I wonder whose call that was. Hopefully somebody out there will hear this. Simon Furman, we're friends on (laughs) Facebook. I'm going to post this. going to tag you. You tell me about it. I feel like 1993 was so weird, especially at Marvel, because it's like, you know, you read some of the stories about that time, and it's like, you have to put out as much product as pot. We don't care if it's good. It's got to be out there, and it's got to be something we could potentially make a toy of. That might have been a little bit later toy biz but i feel like someone was like halloween's coming up we're promoting this transformers book get that thing out there we're gonna we're gonna put it in someone's hands and it's just it's so indicative of the time this is like you know right before the the spider-man clone saga would start before these crossovers would ramp up like they just wanted to get as much product into the market as possible and i feel like repackaging that quote-unquote ghost story as a halloween special was like just it made sense at the time now it's kind of ridiculous but it did make sense at the time i know that makes sense absolutely and and you're right because Marvel at that time as a corporate entity was publicly traded and they had acquired Skybox they had acquired Fleer I think this is around the time they got Panini and like they really could they, if you go back and look Ron Perlman didn't pay for any of this stuff he used leveraged buyouts that that he used Marvel sales to like
Mike Hughes as a collateral to get those leveraged buyouts. Because if you look at this time, that was really the only part of the company that was making big money. The trading cards would have, but you don't need two companies. I don't understand it. Like if, if you read like Comic Wars, it talks about what a, a weird series of missteps were made. But one thing is right, Derry, they did pump out as much product as they could because this is the only way they could guarantee that, that revenue could be generated. Like yeah. you know, they weren't going to put it. Like, Panini's only going to put out so many stickers. That, that's what <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, as far as IP goes, there was tons to spin off. You could get Punisher three titles. There'd be six X-Books, yeah. what have you, et cetera. Any, and you know, we'll get the Transformers going again. Get it on the shelf. So great point as far as that goes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so Megatron and Starscream are back. Uh, and Bludgeon's not too happy about that. Uh, so well, he Bludgeon... won't have to worry about that very long. No, <laughs> he does not. <laughs> Bludgeon attacks Megatron and uh, Megatron, he's able to handle them pretty easily. Destroying Bludgeon, taking his head as a prize. Now, acquiring and touring Bludgeon's ship, Megatron has shown Bludgeon's progress in making an army and is pleased at what he has stumbled upon. Finally, Optimus Prime arrives to help G.I. Joe against the constant assault of the Decepticons. However, his plan to stop Megatron is to try to convince him to understand the larger threat of Jihaxis. When Optimus faces off with Megatron, guess what? Megatron will not listen. Consumed with the intent to take the Matrix from Optimus to power his army, he rips open Prime's chest to take his prize, and just as Megatron is about to kill Prime, guess who shows up, Dean? Grimlock and the rest <laughs> show up Give to save credit him. where credit due. This is my party. <laughs> During the battle, the Decepticons escape to their ship, leaving Optimus to be repaired by the Autobot. In a short epilogue, we see a black cybernetic swarm that we actually caught a glimpse of, I think, in issue 5 approach some aliens on a distant planet. They suck the life from their bodies, leaving nothing but their bones behind before flying off. So we're going to kind of getting uh, we're getting some more information on this black swarm and it looks cybernetic. I put that in there. It definitely looks like it's composed of some technology, but uh, we'll find out more of that there when we get into the next issues. But all right, first off, okay, Derry, I, I need you to make sure that my explanation for Optimus's revelation of or vision, if you will, of the generations, did I describe that right or give me your take on it what the what the hell was going on yeah i i think you described it very well i gotta be completely honest with you i have no idea what's going on and, okay <laughs> and, and yeah think about really, it when we were reading transformers 80 and remember i told you i love simon Furman, but sometimes the, it gets into cosmic mumbo jumbo oh man and like you just kind of have to accept it it's like when the living tribunal's talking to you know <laughs> the in-betweener and you couldn't possibly understand this the, the way i read it and and I, I think it's consistent if you get to the end though i don't think that that was maybe what he intended to begin with is I, I, I just imagine him, you know, Furman sitting there and going, all right, the book is called Generation 2. And as Dean pointed out before, we didn't have the term Generation 1, right? We That would come later. That was that was fan branding. And he's like, well, okay, wait a second. There's really only one generation of Transformers. They all showed up one day. They, they came from Primus, the, the god, the world. And uh, there is no Generation 2. And he just sits there and is like, well, what if there is a Generation 2? Right. And yeah, this, this whole talk about memory wipes and budding and everything else it's like okay that that's great but my main takeaway was oh okay there were more transformers after you started your war left this planet and um you know we're locked on earth 
And one of the people who you left behind who didn't care about your war went off into space, you know, with his friends, Geaxis, and they formed the Cybertronian Empire. And they're the next generation because they don't have anything to do with you guys. And I really like that because, again, it was it was a comment on the fact that, like, yeah, you have this war. And to Dean's point, like, what are you fighting for? But also, like, your war is tiny. Like, the universe is infinite. Look what your peers, your kids, really, your descendants did when they didn't have you standing over them yelling at them. Like, they, they've conquered an unlimited number of worlds. And the other thing, too, is that Geaxis's troops are really loyal. The other thing that I did like, though, is Furman really goes into this idea of, like, how do Transformers reproduce? And again, that's not something I ever really cared about. But I do like the idea that at some point they could just make more of themselves. Because up yeah. until now, that was really, like, gatekept. Like, you had to come from the planet itself, the planet was sentient, mm -hmm. or someone with the Matrix had to turn you on. So I did like the idea of saying, well, wait a second, maybe that was all crap. Maybe there are war more ways to make this. Maybe transforming life exists in ways you can't possibly imagine. Because not only does that, you know, poke the imagination, it allows for much cooler toys. Yeah, 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 for sure. Dean, anything to add on that? Well, one thing I want to say is I think we I think we missed the part where uh, Grimlock and his guys get captured and Optimus Prime has to save them. And like, we lose Red Alert and Mirage. And I think, they, again, Mirage is like a big deal. Like, Mirage is like one of the first Transformers. He's always in every one of them. Uh, he hunts Turbo Foxes. I like that about him. He's a snotty guy. <laughs> Enjoy that. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's funny. I think he's a good character. And he's somebody who they can always count on. Uh, he's kind of a deus ex machina with his mirage power. Like, sometimes he's invisible, but sometimes he just looks like Megatron. And, like, they killed him, you know, I mean, in, in that, uh, it, it, when, during Grimlock's attack. And, you know, when they're busting out in Optimus Prime. And I like the part where, like, Optimus Prime is like, listen, you know, we talked to Grimlock, and Grimlock's like, yeah, I failed. I got those guys killed. Like, the only thing he did wrong was not kidnap a whole crew. He's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it sucks that they died, but shit happens, man. You're a great leader. So I yeah. love, see, again, it, it really advances that Grimlock uh, inferiority complex. And not just advances it, but I think by the end of the uh, of the Generation 2 run, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of gone. You know, I mean, it's completely, it, it, you know, he's, he's very uh, sure of himself in a way that he never was, you know, like in the G1 issues where, like, he became the leader and just becomes a super tyrant. Like, you know, yeah. and I really appreciate that development. One of the things I super like about it is once Bludgeon's crew shows up, God damn, Octopunch is everywhere. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I love Octopunch, all right? I just love Octopunch. What a name. What a look. I don't care about anything in regard to whatever he's done, his backstory. He's like the Sid Vicious of the Transformers to me. All he has to do is look good. That's it. He just looks like he's just a cool Transformer. He got a deep sea diver's helmet on. I mean, listen, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm very excited. But Octopunch, one of the things that like I complained about when we did an issue number 80 you don't get to see a lot of favorites even if they're getting blown away g2 is giving you a lot of the old favorites like i said octopunch is a big one for me but my number one favorite transformer of all time Soundwave. is takes he, he, you know as this goes on he takes a bigger and bigger role okay and cool. i love Soundwave. i have probably i don't know 40 maybe 45 different Soundwave things big ones small ones cassettes <laughs> statues whatever you know i just i i love him and so it's great to see him more i think that uh they advanced the story uh really well. I, I think that the Optimus Prime trying to talk to Megatron 
trope gets done a little bit too much, but it's yeah. done well here. And uh, wow, I think it reinforces too that Megatron, like you said about uh, Thanos, has to defeat himself. Because you look almost every time they go one-on-one, like Megatron just destroys this guy. And he really rips him, he literally rips him apart here. So I really I really enjoy that of it too, you know, where, where we see just how out Optimus Prime isn't just outnumbered when he comes to G-Axis, but he's also outclassed at this point with Megatron's upgrade. So, and also they do a great job despite the fact that there's a lot of conflict right now. You just know these guys are going to get together. You just mm-hmm. know it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always liked that fact. I think that's one of the reasons Optimus is, is really had such staying power. Like he is not a soldier. Like Megatron turns into a gun. He's got a gun on his right. arm. He turns into a tank. He was a gladiator. He could fly. Like he is an aggressive soldier. He's your classic tyrannical character. And Optimus is not. He turns into a truck. He delivers things. Uh, right. And that that's why it makes it so interesting. Because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Dean. I absolutely think in a straight fight he's going to lose. And, and that's why it's so cool in, in the original movie with the, with the scene with Hot Rod. And I won't spoil it for the three of you listening to this who haven't <laughs> seen the original movie. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. And I always love that. Prime, regardless of the fact that his his men look upon him like God, he is the underdog, and and I love that here. It's like he's got to find another way to take this guy down, to take Megatron down, because he's not going to be able to outshoot him. The Decepticons are made for war; the Autobots aren't. And also, the other thing that I like about Prime and and th- these comics in general, why I still am interested in the mythology, regardless of the fact that I'm an adult, is the fact that the Autobots aren't trying to conquer anything. Their whole right. thing is like, no, we just want to stop you from killing everyone else, and we'd like it if you know we could go home like that yeah. that's a very simple thing like w- like the autobots are saying war is bad you're saying war is good <laughs> we don't want to kill anyone we just want the fighting to stop which is why i really like the the next franchise in the series which is beast wars which opens up with this story being closed and basically saying hey there there was peace for a while and they did win so you you at least know as a long-term fan of this nonsense that there is a little p pe- period of time where everyone had like Cybertronian baby boomers if you will okay i really like what you said about Optimus prime not being a soldier because it's because it, when you think about it absolutely true ultra magnus is the soldier oh, ultra hell. magnus is like this incredible military mind like he wants to, he wants to fight but also he's a lot like prime he doesn't want to fight because like fighting's awesome he's like yeah. we have to fight like gotta that's, that's why we got to do it yeah. and honestly uh i feel like the generation two one of the things that it's lacking is i feel like if i I wish Ultra Magnus was in it. I feel like he would add something to this. The the characters they leave out in this really surprising to me. And again, I didn't go back and reread the back half of, of the Generation One comic. Yeah, he could oh, be. Yeah, the, I don't yeah I, I, if anyone is listening to this, it's not called Generation One. It's literally just called Marvel's The Transformers. There is another Generation One comic that comes later. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of characters left on the cutting room floor here that I would have loved to have seen gotten the Starscream treatment of just just put them in because you know your days are numbered, guys. And who are like your top two or three? My my favorite Transformer of all time, and I, I couldn't tell you why, is Ironhide. Uh, between right. the Peter Cullen voice, the fact that I had his toy, he was one of the few G1 Transformers I actually did have. I just, I loved him. I love that he was tough and a little bit more rumbly, but he definitely, you know, he's voiced by Peter Cullen. He sounded like Optimus Prime and he would just, he would just get in there and he would, he would lose it. And then later on, I found out he was one of the few Transformers who actually had a girlfriend in Chromia who, Right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Ironhide turns into a minivan and his girlfriend turns into like this soccer mom thing. And I always just thought like, you know what? That's great. I'm glad he settled down. So no, I, Ironhide is my favorite uh, on the 
Decepticon side, it's always been Starscream. Uh, his voice actor, Chris Lotta, who did Cobra, uh, Cobra Commander in the original cartoon, is like the one celebrity who, who I never got to meet because unfortunately he passed away. I, I have as many Starscream toys as you do Soundwave. Like whenever I see something with his form, I'm like, nope, I, I got to have that. I'm going to regret not buying it. It's funny because like your favorite's like, oh, I like this guy because he's scheming and disloyal. But I like Soundwave because he is loyal. I like Soundwave because <laughs> you know, I'm like, Soundwave is utterly dependable. And I love that about him. And I love, uh, and I think he's equivalent in G.I. Joe with Scrap Iron on the Cobra side. Aww. Like, Scrap Iron just gets shit done. Every time, like, if you watch the G.I. Joe cartoon, I don't want to deviate too much. You knew it was business on the Cobra side when you saw Storm Shadow, Firefly, or Scrap Iron. Because they got shit done. If it's just the Dreadnoughts or the Baroness, yeah, somebody's going to punch him. You don't know. Firefly could get away. Scrap Iron <laughs> might do something. And I felt that way about Soundwave. Like, he was smart, capable, and loyal. So it's funny. It's funny that we have the opposites. I do love Starscream, though. I have some, definitely have some Starscream stuff as well. It's just that voice. When you hear him as a kid and he's belching that out, and it's just like, oh, it's like, it's like, yeah, man. Then he turns into a fighter jet. It's just like, okay, you, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> it's especially good when like he's talking shit and like you know Megatron's mind and he's like I'm the best and I should be in control he's like what was that Starscream I mean Lord Megatron if I can control a little more perhaps you can do a little better you know that's a terrible <laughs> impression but but it's great when he turns around you just laugh you just you can't help but laugh he, he's the only Transformer that his his toys when they're marketed to adults comes with the little crown and the little cape that he wore yeah. one scene in the movie and I always laugh because it's like no Transformer is really known for their clothing. That's not a thing. Right. And he's got this crown. It just sits on his head because because of course he's the only one who would want a coronation for the 32nd season charge. And I just was like, <laughs> you do you, Starscream. I am I am there to support you. He is definitely the most extra of the Transformers. And that's <laughs> saying a lot when you have guys like Omega Supreme and Octopunch and Longtooth. Somehow yeah. he is the most extra. Repugnous. How could he be the most extra? But he's still yeah. great. Agreed. Uh, the only thing I would add is like you can almost tell that Simon Furman knew this was only going to get a year. It really feels like you're halfway done with the story. Yes. And I think it was very common at the time. Like Neil Gaiman talks about how he thought that Sandman would only get a year. Uh, at this time, uh, comic books that were a little bit good but didn't sell well, they would round out the year and go along. Like now, they'll just pull the plug anytime. Relaunch with like a negative 1.2 or whatever. I can't <laughs> understand anymore. I'm very old, everyone. But um, uh, but like at the time that you get around issue seven they'd be like listen we're gonna cancel it we, you know it's not gonna last you know more than 12 issues like if you look at like wcw bill and ted this was a uh, uh this is a common thing if you look at there's a lot of dc issues like chain gang war was the same 12 issues um and so you i think Furman do like you know we talked about prior he went balls to the wall because i don't think he he knew this wasn't gonna sell it wasn't gonna get over i think the number one problem with generation two is like it launches in 92 but the last transformers are on the shelf in like 1990 yeah. so what you want like there's not really time for something. I, hey, it's like I tell people sometimes you got to go away before somebody can miss you. You know, <laughs> and I don't know that any, you don't know that it went away long enough for people to miss it. I think that Beast Wars, although I've never gotten into it because I didn't have a cable at the time, so I couldn't watch it. I think Beast Wars was a better way to update it at the time. Uh, uh, 
from an IP standpoint, from a sales yeah. standpoint, from my standpoint, Transformers Generation 2, that's where it's at, y'all. Big guns, big <laughs> stake, big adventure, and just and a big UK feel. That's where it's at. Okay. All right. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, earlier about the, the weird Autobot mystics who show up at the beginning of issue five and help Prime go on his spirit journey, for lack of a better word. And I love this because it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it's I, like you're in the middle of all these crazy battles and Optimus Prime is like, no, I, I think the, the, the magic crucifix in my chest is telling me something. Let me go home. Let me talk to the magic men who may live underground and I'm going to go through this crazy vision quest and try to figure out what the heck is going on here. And it's so funny because it's like, it does set up the rest of the series, you know, what he learns there, what he sees uh, and everything else. But it, it's just like, it's like Furman knew that. Furman's like, I got to do an info dump and I got to do it for a character that can drive the rest of the story and I got to do it in a believable way. And, and it's funny too, you know, Dean just mentioned Beast Wars, but like there's a very famous scene in uh, the Beast Wars cartoon where Optimus Prime's successor, Optimus Prime will do something similar. And it's like, I have to go in and I have to, I have to gain higher knowledge and you know, I have to talk to the, to the center, if you will. And I, and I just love the fact that this like super spiritual quasi-religious thing is in the middle of this comic where giant robots are shooting each other. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. again, it's just like, good on you, Simon. You, you did well, man. Yeah, I mean, think sure. about that too. When we juxtapose the characters of Optimus Prime and Megatron again, when Optimus Prime does this, like people are like, ah, I wish Prime was around, but nobody's like, fuck you, Prime. What a dumb idea, Prime. This is terrible, Prime. <laughs> they get impatient. Sure. You know, don't get me wrong, but nobody's like that. Can you imagine Megatron doing this? Like in the middle of all these battles being like, you know what? I've got to consult a higher power to no determine way. what we should do next as a force, as a race, as anything. Because again, like we talked, like I talked about earlier for Megatron, Megatron, like you said too, it's like Thanos for the MCU, or it's Galactus. Galactus is. Megatron is. There's no higher power than Megatron. How could Megatron make a mistake? Yeah. How could Megatron say anything wrong? And that's what really makes us all identify with Optimus Prime. If you'll notice in other like archetypes like this, there's a lot of Duke haters in G.I. Joe. There's a decent amount of He-Man haters. People who really like Skeletor and those guys more. Optimus Prime is the front good guy. And think about, like, think about John Cena in the WWE. A lot of people hated John Cena as this baby face. We all love baby face Optimus Prime because he's willing to talk to his, his his folks. He's willing to talk to the people who quote unquote, you know, who are under his command and he's willing to consult a higher power when he's not sure. Whatever that means for you, for some people that's praying, it's meditating, it's talking to a mentor. Maybe it's all of those things, but that's something we relate to because as humans, we don't have all the answers. Megatron, we don't relate. He is, he just has them all. And that's why we love it when Optimus Prime does this. And that's why we love it when he beats Megatron. That's right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, it, it also allows for the villains to have these overwhelming stakes like i mean you think in the cartoon where it's like okay there's a certain number of decepticons and they go back to their bases a certain number of autobots going back to their base but something that gets played up a lot in the comics is like the decepticons control their entire planet like they're right. the autobots really are the underdogs here and they're, they're just like warships and soldiers and everything ready to, to take the turn and megatron is very much aware of that fact like he is he's playing with his food and i i love the fact that he gets to be this overwhelming force and prime gets to evolve and figure out what he needs to do to make sure that the most people make it through. And again, it, it's just, it's a, it's a very simple morality story. It's made to sell toys, but it, it still, it reverberates and, and right. it's next to me on some very like basic level. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Clearly, clearly it hit the mark. Jesse, okay. what did you think about it? Like, I'm interested to hear some of your thoughts as somebody who, you know, obviously Derry and I just fucking transformers <laughs> marks, you know I mean? Just like, 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 and that's why I can't watch the movies. Honestly, I don't think they're bad, but I want these movies to be 
like very inside baseball, like, oh man, it's Beachcomber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, here yeah. comes Warpath and, and Minasaur's there. You know, nobody cares. But There's Jesse, no way. you like you like the Transformers, but you're you know, I would you're not as inside baseball as deep cut as we are. What did you think about these first six issues? Well, I mean, hey, I'm on board, man, because as long as I can figure out who is participating, it's pretty simple. Optimus Prime and Megatron. That's been there for me forever and a day. Right. Introducing Jahaxis, I can't wait to see what this swarm's going to be that's coming. Obviously, we're that, that's a threat that's going to be happening here in these next six issues, I assume, will hopefully get resolved. I want to see Prime succeed, and I know Megatron is just, he's made a mistake already by not listening to Prime. How many times has he done that? <laughs> so, I, I know that's, that's happened. That's a great point. Like, do you think Prime likes you? Like, do you think he just wants to come talk yeah. to you? Like, you're yeah. not a good friend. No kidding. And like, you should probably listen to him. Megatron's, you know, they always play right into my hands. Here we go. Spark of light. Ah, uh, all right. Thanks a lot, Prime. See you later. Uh, but yeah, it's I at some point I I can't wait to see Megatron realize, and I don't even know if that's going to happen just based upon who Megatron is. But he's going to probably get a good dose of like, oh shit, what have I done? Because maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have listened to Prime. I don't know. I, I that's what I'm expecting to happen. So I'm on the hook. I mean, I've enjoyed what I've got so far. It's properties. It's toys that I've enjoyed in my childhood and you know it's been written well this could have been something that could have really flopped and I understand why you guys are were suggesting it number one to read and and go through and do a podcast on it so I'm excited to talk about the next six issues when we get to it my only regret is this this didn't go long enough as a series in total to allow for them to have the laser Optimus Prime I don't know if you guys are familiar with this no. but one of the last Primes released right, right. was such a 90s thing where Optimus I'm on the internet right now I'm going to it. <laughs> he turned into an oil tanker. He had a giant lightsaber light up sword. He had these ridiculous shoulder pad looking things. I had as a kid, I loved it. I, I still have it. But one of the things I was looking for in this was like, oh man, if this had gone on for just a few more issues, Prime would have had to have died again and come back as this ridiculous, <laughs> over the top, like put the Michael Bay version to bed type of Prime. <laughs> Unfortunately, I never got that in comics because by the time they came back under a company called Dreamwave Studios, he was back to his classic form. Oh, that well, Maybe you'll a- still get to see him, you know? And you're right. That's a great look. It's very 90s. And I know some people will hear this and not like it, but like, yeah, that's Rob Liefeld's Optimus Prime, and it's oh, great. Yeah. and it's great. So I agree with you. Uh, like I said, the only real regret I have, I wish I'd seen Ultra Magnus. I think I think that's the only character that really could have added something to uh, to the story. I I, I feel like he, you know, because everything in the story is a lot about conflict and more. And as far as the Autobots go, with the possible exception of Cup, I don't know that anybody has more to say or more or, or works more uh, well with those themes than Ultra Magnus. Also, bad... I just like him. He looks cool. Uh, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs. Dean Compton, tell us about the Unspoken Decade and all the other stuff we got going on. Did someone say Unspoken Decade? The place where you need to go to check out some great articles about comics in the 90s? This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. 
To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. Man, when I talk about it, it sounds like I'm so busy, but y'all, I'm so lazy. Lazy as fuck. (laughs) But uh, we're over at theunspokendecade.com. SimbiFan publishes a lot of of great articles over there. Every time we do one of these podcasts, I say I'm going to try and write something again soon because I don't want to sound conceited. I feel like you should write something again. We miss you writing. And I say I'm going to, and then I don't. So let's just just do that again. I'm going to try and write something again soon. Probably won't, but, you know, we'll go on from there. Uh, We are pretty active on the Facebook page, so check us out on Facebook. And at Unspoken Decade on Twitter, I've uh, I've tried to be a lot more active in the last uh, two or three months over there, posting three or four picks a day, trying to get more conversations. Feel free to come say hello over there. Um, that's probably about it. That's where you can reach us, and we're always looking for more people to discuss 90s comics with. Good, bad, in between. To me, they all have a special place in my heart. Very good. All right, yeah, you can check out the Unspoken Issues Facebook page. That's where usually these podcasts are going to be posted. Uh, come on over, be a member. We do polls, okay? This is how this works. We've set out a Facebook poll, and then you choose. You have a hand in what we're going to talk about. So if uh, something comes up here, I think that last poll that we put up, we got some cartoon comic books. Uh, I think it was Duckman, and oh my goodness, I can't remember the other one. But I know it's out there. It's probably going to be coming to an end soon. Chris Armstrong and myself are probably going to get together and talk about that. But yeah, we're in the 30s, at least for our episodes here. So check out out the archive that I have posted the playlist, uh, YouTube playlist link. Uh, we, we started, I want to say it was about two years ago. I think I just saw that pop up. I think we were, it was a couple of years ago when we started the podcast. So anyway, um, yeah, shout out to the W2M network for hosting the podcast. And of course, uh, shout out to the Rattlich and broadcasting network as well. Uh, for Derry Waite, for Dean Compton, I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll be catching you later. Have a good one. Autobots roll out. Roll out. Roll out.